What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Lisa Frankenstein. Are you hot burning me? Lisa! Does he have more of a basketball bod or a football bod? He doesn't play sports. I tend to his grave. I talk to him. I wish I was with you. That's really weird, Lisa. I'm sure it's the girl next door. She's very odd. Your hand? I can't believe you're here. Do you like music? I have the cure. Oh, not that kind of cure. They can't make you better. I mean, they can, but like emotionally. No, don't cry. (gasps) Your tears smell so bad. Send it back. You need a friend. No? I love it. It's not really my style. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Lisa Frankenstein, and the story is as follows. A misunderstood teenager and a reanimated corpse embark on a murderous journey to find love, happiness, and a few missing body parts. The film is starring Catherine Newton, Cole Sprouse, Lisa Soberano, Henry Eikenberry, Joe Crest, and Carla Gugino. It is directed by Zelda Williams, and it is written by Diablo Cody. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Dan Bear. Hello, everybody. And joining us as a guest here on the podcast for the first time, she writes for Offscreen Central and has her own website, Director Brat. We have Leah Mendoza. Hi, everyone. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I was telling um, Matt that it's such like an honor to be on here. I've been such a fan of Next Best Picture since I was like 17 in high school. So this is like the coolest thing. Thanks so much for having me. Way to make Dan and I feel old. (laughs) No, no. Thank you so much for being here. We really, really do appreciate it. Especially because, too, you know, Dan and I were getting ready to do this and we realized it was only going to just be the two of us. And I was like, I I feel for this particular movie, we need a female perspective pretty badly. So I'm very happy that you could be here with us today to discuss this film. Uh, This is the feature directorial debut of Zelda Williams, written by Diablo Cody, who many of you, of course, know, wrote Juno, which she won an Oscar for. Uh, But she's had a very 
singular screenwriting career, I would say. And this is a movie that I would argue is uh, definitely calling back the fans of Jennifer's Body saying, hey, you guys love this kind of movie? Well, I'm going to give you another one that's very much like it. And so the marketing for Lisa Frankenstein, I've noticed, has been leaning very heavily into its late 80s nostalgia Neon lit, kind of uh, gothic, uh, hot topic scene girl uh, sort of identity for itself that is, I I think, catering towards a younger audience, definitely. It's meant to be something different this Valentine's Day, I would argue. And so is it something that wholly works? Because Diablo Cody, even though, like I said earlier, won that Oscar for Juno, it feels like the output since then has had peaks and valleys. You know, for every young adult or a Tully, you then get something like uh, Paradise, uh, for example. Uh, And Jennifer's Body is a film that has always had a polarizing response, but its fans are really, really adamant that it is a cult classic, that it is something unique and special. And I'm kind of getting similar vibes from this movie, too, even though it just recently released in theaters. So let's dive into it and let's find out what exactly it is here. Let's unearth this uh, from from the ground, shall we? <laughs> Leia, let's start off with you. What did you think of Lisa Frankenstein? I really liked it Um, as somebody who is very much obsessed with female led horror films. I was very excited going into it, um, especially because Zelda Williams is like her directorial debut. Um, I know she's directed music videos in the past. I was very excited to like see her aesthetics and um, Catherine Newton's always great. And so going into it, I also just was very excited for a new Diablo Cody script because I was very late to Jennifer's body. Um, I was very young when it came out. I was like seven when it came out. So I didn't get to see like the beginning reviews of it. But now I've been able to see how it's kind of been labeled as like a cult classic. And so going into it, I was very excited to sort of see everything and see this new horror film. Um, And I really liked it. Good. I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. I think a lot of people are going to like this movie. Um, Maybe not like a lot, a lot across the board, but very similar to Jennifer's Body. I think there's going to be a very vocal uh, group of people out there who really dig this and align with this on a personality level. You know, I could see a lot of people watching this and saying, oh, that's so me. That movie is just captures who I am, like the essence of me, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I I can definitely see this being, I mean, like you said, with the marketing, I think it's very targeted towards um, Gen Z and like a younger generation. And I think if that's definitely what they're aiming for, I feel like they've definitely been able to to get like an audience for it. Yeah. Let's hear from Dan Baer. Dan, what did you think? Did this one uh, live up to the hype for you? Diablo Cody, I've missed you so much. (laughs) (laughs) My reaction to this movie within like the opening five minutes was just like, I like took a deep breath and like relaxed into my chair because I got the vibes immediately. And it's been so long since we've had a good Diablo Cody written film in theaters. And I will admit, 
the trailer for this uh, kind of made me a little scared. It looked like a mess in a bad way. But sitting down to watch the movie, it immediately right from the the animated uh, like silhouette sequence for the credits, I was like, oh, I am in the hands of someone who knows how to tell a good story, and I'm just going to sit back, relax, and enjoy. And that is exactly what happened. I think this is like the nicer sister movie to Jennifer's body. I feel like they're very much in conversation with each other, but this is for like the kind of emo goth kids whereas jennifer's body was for like the real hardcore horror girlies um which is okay every audience needs a movie right and this is just so like dayglo neon 80s pop fun and i loved every last campy bit of it I, I had a blast watching this movie. It's just it's just a fun time. And I think it even gets that down to the stylization, the the 80s vibes and the fact that it manages to be like this riff on 80s teen comedies while also being a great teen comedy for now is just is really impressive. I do have some uh, caveats to how much I loved it, but we'll get into those later, I think. All right. So for myself, I don't disagree necessarily with anything that's been said here. I did appreciate that this movie was catering itself towards uh, what I would say is a very niche audience. But to your point, Dan, every audience needs its movie. I could see how my younger self, like in high school, uh, back when I used to shop for baggy black chained pants at Hot Topic and wore Jack Skellington uh, t-shirts, would very much have liked this movie. <laughs> I, as someone who's also a fan of The Cure, anytime that there is a reference to them in a movie, my heart just immediately uh, boils over with uh, warmth and, and, and affection. So uh, this movie definitely was speaking to me at times. But then there were other times where it did lose me, and I am still kind of wrestling with the overall tone that this movie takes and the direction that it goes in and how I am supposed to feel about it as a result because I've heard so many people since this film uh, had its embargo drop say, this movie's fun. All right, like just have fun with it. Why can't we have fun anymore? Don't you remember what fun was? And I'm sitting here like, yeah, I I do. And I know what it is. I still have fun with movies. I haven't lost that ability. But there is a point in Lisa Frankenstein where I, I become incredibly split on the film's gleefully twisted approach to intertwining young teenage love with just straight up murder. <laughs> it's like, and we can get into this a little bit more because I'm pretty sure this is going to be the point of contention on this podcast for all of us here. Uh, I'm just somewhat torn on Lisa Frankenstein as a result of that creative decision. I do believe it is striving for a balance between evoking late 80s nostalgia and carving out a place for itself as a modern cult classic. And I hate using that term. I really, really do. I don't like saying cult classic right when a movie first comes out. But this is the kind of thing that 
I could imagine 30 years ago being a late night VHS rental that you would uh, pop in at a slumber party with your friends. This has that kind of vibe to it where I could see 30 years from now people, however we watch movies 30 years from now, popping this in and watching it with their friends in high school and you know, fawning over uh, Cole Sprouse and how dreamy his uh, dead eyes are. <laughs> it, 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 you know, Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse, I think, have undeniably cute chemistry and they really carry this movie uh, through. But yeah, I I have some issues overall. So let's 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 start off with that. You know, I, I've already kind of laid it out there for both of you. My issue is that. As cute as the romance is and as charming and compelling Catherine Newton is as a young actress who I've I've adored in many movies. I think she's a fantastic um, lead in uh, especially in the comedy scene. And Cole Sprouse, I think, does a really good job uh, with the physical comedy and what's required of him here. But when they're just hacking people to bits it's played for laughs, and I, I understand that some people deserve it, but then I do question if some other people necessarily deserve it, and I, I started to have some moral problems with the direction that this was just all going in, because it seemed to just take a very uh, pleasurable sort of stance on these characters just, like I said, straight up murdering people. Uh, you know, what, what did you all think of that? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just being honest. And the reason I didn't have a problem with it was because, like everything else in the movie, that violence is so stylized. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is cartoon level violence and granted this, this movie was a lot um bloodier than i was expecting going in but the way they did it to me felt very of a piece with the with the tone of the rest of the movie so it didn't bother me so much even if i like can concede yeah they do kind of like gloss over the fact that these two are just straight up killing a lot of people <laughs> I mean, I agree. I really do like how very stylized the kills were. And I do also kind of agree that maybe some people didn't deserve it as much. Like, I mean, I think the third and final person maybe didn't necessarily deserve it. But the other two, I was kind of like, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I mean, you know, listen, there's this, there's a character who... Uh, you know, makes advances towards Lisa and, uh, you know, he – spoiler alert, FYI, he ends up getting his hand cut off and I was like, OK, like that that makes sense. Like that's that's completely deserved in this case. Uh, but I don't know. I just like there was a part of me that just thought that the movie was kind of just 
coasting on by past these points of discussion and not even addressing it. And that and I'm not saying I need this movie to take itself seriously and I need to have like some sort of a soapbox moral dissection of, you know, <laughs> killing people and like the moral stance behind it. Like, I, I don't really need that necessarily, but I did. I guess that was I think that was the problem is that as it went progressively more and more, I did start to just feel more icky about it. Although I think Dan would agree with me. The final bit in particular uh, <laughs> regarding a. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the shadow on the wall. A, a particular prop, we'll, we'll say. <laughs> It's so good. I mean, it was pretty funny. I have to admit, it was it was amusing. Don't get me wrong. Like that is one of those like moments where everything is coming together perfectly. The, the rhythm of the editing, the cinematography, the music choice. I absolutely love that. I will say during my screening when that scene happens, the audible like gasp you can yeah. feel. In the room was like <laughs> insane. Well, that's the thing, too, is that I don't know if we are as an audience prepared for a moment like that. Like, I don't know if we've been properly set up. I don't think it's possible. To I don't be. either. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know if we've like progressively built up to that point where we're expecting it. It is shocking. And I think that's I think that's another issue I have with this film, too. And Dan, you and I talked about this briefly upon leaving the screening. I felt that even though I did get a clear sense that Zelda Williams knew what she wanted in terms of the aesthetic, the overall look of this movie, I do feel the execution was sometimes a bit sloppy. Like there was a feeling of first time feature filmmaker kind of one on one kind of going on here. I, I do think that it did have a kind of a first time feature thing, but I think it was more for me anyway, relating to the performances. This is a very tricky tonal kind of balancing act that Mm -hmm. Diablo Cody has written here because all of these characters pretty much are both like real actual characters and characters in an eighties teen movie and they're always kind of operating on this level of, you know, being actual characters with thoughts and feelings of their own, but also being like these kind of archetypal characters. And I think that not all of the performances really do that consistently. And I think the the one with the biggest trouble, unfortunately for me, is Catherine Newton as Lisa as the lead. And I think that is where we get into issues where like the tone, it is usually really good with keeping the tone at the right level, but the moments when it slips, it really deflates the movie in those moments. Everything just goes like off. <laughs> Would you agree with me if I said that I felt that Diablo Cody's script is better than the movie itself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Yeah. I feel like for me, with the performances, I feel like this is a very, like, performance-driven film. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I love Catherine Newton in this, but I will say that I think the standout for me was Liza Soberano. I, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Um, there's just something about the way he is sort of an archetype that like we see in like 80s films, whether it's like weird science or other films of that nature, but she plays it so well. And I remember during the screening, I was just like, wow, who is this? And <laughs> I'm obsessed with her performance. And I kind of agreed to, I love Catherine Newton's performance in this, but I will say that she was not really the standout for me. Well, Lisa Soberano has, I found out, because I, I too had a similar reaction where I was like, oh, who is this? Like, very magnetic personality that jumps off the screen in a major way. I then looked them up online and found out that they have millions of followers. <laughs> and I was like, who is she? Is she like a TikTok person? Like, what? Like, what is this? No, uh, she has quite a filmography that actually um, has only just started, you know, has only just started, mind you, but she's done a lot of television work. It just happens to be in stuff that I personally have not seen. <laughs> she is great mm-hmm. in this. Like what a, what a character, first of all, and the, the line readings are so good. They're just that perfect airhead 80s cheerleader i i love the line i even quoted it in the review which i rarely do but when lisa is talking about the the guy that she likes the the editor of the literary magazine and uh taffy is like oh i don't know him he's not a jock Lisa says he doesn't play sports. He's cerebral. To which Taffy replies, oh, he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, too, is that Diablo Cody's dialogue still zings. She still got it. She still got like that ability to pull lines out that are just so unexpected, but yet bring a smile to your face because of how I I think what it is, is, you know, there's a quirkiness to it that feels sometimes it can feel forced. I, I have felt in the past with some of our other films that I thought that it was a little too try hard, but here I didn't really get that sense so much from the writing. I, I did get it from the, like I said, the direction of the film and how it's presented because at the end of the day, this is a, teen rom-com coming of age story it's nothing that you haven't really seen before they just but it but it has that um but it has that delicious diablo cody dialogue that does i think elicit enough chuckles and laughs to give to give you to give you amusement throughout you know i i definitely think it elevates the film beyond what it could have been Absolutely. It's very like, I know that it's based on Frankenstein, but the whole movie felt very, um, what if Lydia Dietz hadn't met Beetlejuice? That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. And and that, that vibe was just very, it was very eighties. Lisa feels like a goth girl, like proto Lydia Dietz kind of character in her like wallowing in the, the gothic drama of it all you know 
but the thing about the screenplay is that even though it's set in the 80s, there aren't a lot of like, you know, super topical jokes or like there's not a lot of anachronisms in the comedy either. It's just funny dialogue. She's not pointing out things about the 80s that are funny, even though some she does use some like 80s slang here and there. But it's very the humor is all based in character and just dialogue choices. It's not going for easy laughs ever. I agree. I One thing I really loved, and I wrote it on my notes, is it feels very, I there's a lot of very, like, I don't know how to word this, but it's such, like, a blunt screenplay um, where I feel like everybody is, like, constantly at odds with one another and, like, the insults being thrown back and forth. I was like, oh, taken aback by it. Um, because, like, it is a teen romantic comedy but it feels very modern day I feel like the best way I described it in the car with my best friend was it's very modern comedy just sort of wrapped up in a late 80s romantic world well I think that that's the Gen Z targeting of this movie not just through the marketing but also through its story and some of the directorial choices as well like i definitely think that that is very deliberate to try and capture a young audience i don't even think that a movie like this would get greenlit if it didn't have that kind of a hook to it because you have to imagine that that is exactly what studio executives are thinking of when they say okay we can release this around valentine's day we got to target the young audience how are we going to do that well we gotta you know have it filled with Gen Z, like what? 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 Are, what is Gen Z like nowadays? You know, and I could see like them like brainstorming and trying to figure out how do we take a Gen Z sort of vibe, and, and, but yet wrap it up, like you said, Leah, in uh, in the late '80s, and try to make what's old feel somewhat new again. I I do kind of like that twist. I like that presentation overall, and I definitely think it works in the film's favor here because, like I was saying. I don't think that this movie is a bad movie. In fact, for most of it, I was actually like leaning positive. Um, It wasn't like I said, until we got to like the very, very end that I was like, you know what? I think I'm leaning negative now. Um, But I do think that maybe upon a rewatch, I might like this movie a little bit more than I did the first time. Uh, And I felt a very similar way about Jennifer's body. It took me, I think, a second or third rewatch before I finally like came around to it. Uh, But this I could I could see it having a very similar trajectory for that reason uh with that said what did you all think of the aesthetics of the film you know uh because (laughs) i definitely think that zelda is heavily influenced here by you know tim burton edward swizzer scissor hands (laughs) and um and hevers too i i definitely Mm -hmm. caught uh vibes of that throughout do you feel that uh she was able to pay homage to these movies while carving out an identity uh, for her own film, or do you think it's too in debt to those other movies? Yeah, I think it's a great homage to all those movies that you mentioned with the the colors, even some shot selections, um, just the general vibes. I, (laughs) I think that the design choices, the costume production design, especially like immaculate, immaculate 80s vibes like and i say this as someone who like oh 
God help me, like, grew up in the 80s. <laughs> I mean, I did not grow up in the 80s, so I'm not entirely sure. That's okay, Leia, neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I did not grow up in the 80s, so um, I can't speak from personal experience. But growing up, I watched a lot of 80s films due to my parents. And I definitely feel like this is a love letter to the 80s era, specifically the films. Um, I really, really loved all of the visual aesthetics. Um, the bedrooms, too, I was really... I loved Lisa's bedroom and kind of going into, like, um, all the little details with it. And also, I just really liked the costumes. Um, I think the costumes, for me, were the standouts of the film as well, um, kind of just toying along the lines of, like, very late 80s, you know, crimped hair. Um, the crimped hair, when she puts on the um, the lace dress and, I'm sorry, the blossom hat, mm. I, I died. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a perfect look. And it's one of those things where, like, you put a character in this outfit in this particular time period and you know exactly who that character is. And I feel like they did that for every character in this movie. They just nailed it. So you just take a first glance at these people. You know exactly who they are. It's great. It is. I, I loved it. And I also really loved how suburban everyone looks besides Lisa. She's the weird one, as her neighbors <laughs> say a couple of times throughout. <laughs> yeah, I think I I really loved how the I also really liked how like when it comes to the neighborhoods, all the houses are very colorful. It reminded me of Edward Scissorhands for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly like what it's trying to do. I think it is trying to be like Ed Edward Scissorhands for a new generation. And I do think that it I really don't think it wholly succeeds. And I'm going to once again, just go back to uh, Lisa uh, Soberano and uh, her character here, because that's a character that I think could have been on the page. Someone very unlikable. And someone who could have been in conflict with Lisa throughout the movie. And it is presented seemingly to be that way at first. But as the movie goes on, you start to really like this character. And I just don't like where the film ends for that character. And so any of these attempts that the movie's trying to have here at being a new Edwards uh, Scissorhands or just trying to make me feel good about its overall intentions, its vibes, whatever it is. I can't escape that feeling that I was left with specifically for that character by the end of this movie. I don't know. I kind of liked the end for that character. I thought it was very, I thought it was very funny. Uh, funny. Yes. But like, I don't know. Like I just thought that that, I thought that Liza had done such a good job of endearing us to that character. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just weird. It's weird to well, me. Okay, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I, I was, I liked it because I was happy she survived. Same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that I feel like that is what I was really judging it against, right? Like, a, a lesser movie would have had Lisa kill her at some point. But 
but she doesn't. And I think that's a reflection of like, I, I, and I really love that too, how you start off like thinking like, oh my God, this bitch. And as the movie goes on, you see like, oh no, like she actually does care about Lisa and she has this, you know, this front, you know, this perfect beauty queen front that she's probably been, you know, indoctrinated into by her mother, but she she does have genuine feeling for her and she cares for Lisa and wants to bring her out of her shell. It's that's genuine. She may be going about it in the wrong way for Lisa, but it's really genuine feeling. And you do feel for her over the course of the movie. But one of the things I really liked was like, what first happens to her near the end is just hilariously funny. And then what happens at the very end, I thought was very true to that character of like, well, all this trauma just happened. Gonna wrap it up in a nice big little bow, stuff it in the back of my brain and never think of it again. Let's move on. I don't want to get like too far into spoiler territory so much, but there was also a part of me that also was wondering too, like, is is Lisa thinking about the consequences of the trauma that she's just leaving behind for her family by the end of this movie? And I think not at all. Like, no, of course I, not. <laughs> right. The answer is no. Uh, you know, but I, I can understand a little bit here, too, because, you know, you cast Joe Crest to be her aloof 80s father. And, you know, oh he does the same exact thing on Stranger <laughs> Things. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of perfect casting here. And I think, though, that the person who understood the assignment most of all and fit best within the overall tone of this movie was Carla Gugino. I think she oh. is on fire in every single scene that she's in in this movie. Carla Gugino is one of our greatest living actresses. OK, she is criminally underrated. This is a woman who is like always understands the assignment no matter what that assignment is and she goes in 110 percent. i love her every little like every little twitch of her body was i knew exactly who this woman was just from like the minute she walks on screen you're just like okay we i know exactly what type of mom this is what is the energy we're going for. And I was just like, wow, she really read this script and understood what was happening. <laughs> the scene when she's like cleaning the house with a, with a martini in one hand. Yeah. <laughs> and in the, that, oh God, those, the, those heinous eye searing eighties leotards, the workout outfits. Oh my God. <laughs> I also loved her, like, love and devotion to, to like, the precious memories, little, like... Oh, my God. <laughs> and the self-help tapes, the, how she's an empath. Oh, my God. <laughs> I grew up in the in the 90s, and some of those things carried over yeah. into that new decade. So I, I instantly identified <laughs> some of those. Uh but yeah, I, I got to say, like, every time she was on screen, every single time, every line reading, just pure entertainment, because you could tell she she just knew she knew exactly what 
the tone of this was. She knew exactly how to play it. She knew that she needed to ham it up and bring in a level of camp that I think the film, the rest of the film sometimes is some, it's struggling, I think, to strike that balance. There are times where it hits it, and there are times where I think it's trying to hit it, but it's not successfully landing. Uh, but I think with her in particular, it's always aces. Yeah, I, I I was having a little trouble locking into the tone of the film for the opening few minutes mm-hmm. until Carlo Gugino came on, and I was like, oh, okay, we're in this kind of movie. Right. <laughs> and, and that was when everything started to click, and I was really able to sort of like unclench i guess you you were there for the ride at that point yeah i was i was in Mm -hmm. but i think that that's the thing is like all the stuff before that it's really focused on lisa and it's a very very tricky part to play and there are just some lines where Catherine newton goes a little too dead behind the eyes or like underplays a line reading a bit too much. And I think if, especially in the latter half of the movie, as it goes on, like there's this switch for her character when she um, suddenly sort of gains more self-confidence and becomes more of a typical eighties teenage girl. And Mm, I I don't know. It was one of those things where like it I understood like how the movie had set it up, but it it was almost like she kind of flipped a switch <laughs> and it it just like went from zero to sixty in like one second. And I, I felt it kind of it didn't fully work because it was like, oh, you're just a completely different person now. <laughs> I disagree. I actually think that she is exactly the same throughout the entire movie. Hmm. I do. I truly, truly do. And I think that her relationship with um, the creature, I, I can't remember it. I can't remember his actual name. It I, I don't think he has a name. I think in, he's just the, the credits, creature. Yeah. In the credits, it's literally just called the creature. Okay. All right. So. Her, you know, I think her relationship with with this reanimated corpse just simply enables her to continue being who she already is. It's the rest of the world that doesn't understand her or doesn't get her. But I, I didn't really get a sense of an arc for her throughout this movie. Her whole personality changes in the second half of the movie. I I, I really do disagree. I, I do. Because I think that she is she's she's going to the graveyards, she dresses weirdly compared to everybody else. Yeah, but she's smiling, she's talking to people, she's going after boys in a way that she did not before. I understand that piece of it. Okay, okay. When you when you say that, okay, I, I do recognize what you mean now. I think what I'm getting at more so is it's not I don't think her character undergoes like a transformation that for me feels that much different. Like I I get what you mean specifically with that point in the movie. But to me, I I just always felt that she is who she is right from the very, very beginning of the movie. Um, I understand what this romance 
kind of brings out of her, but I don't think that that's something new that she's uh, experiencing. I just think it's internalized. The way that I viewed it was I, I feel like, I mean, no spoilers, obviously, but I think that it was maybe just something that always was inside of her. And that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. A reason to like, go full force on like the person that I think she just really wanted to be. And I think she obviously sees the creature as like this opportunity to kind of better somebody else instead of bettering herself. And then through that process finds a little bit more self-confidence and like a reason to keep going and to become the person in the second half that she is. I I agree with all that both of you are saying. I just think that for me, it was her coming out of her shell, right? It's not a complete personality change or shift. Right. It's bringing what was inside outside, right? Like, yes, fine, absolutely. But I think that for me, that process happened so fast <laughs> that it, it felt like she just went underwent a personality transplant one night and all of a sudden was like, oh my God, I'm talking to people. I'm a people person now. Uh, Not just that, Dan, but then also I am dismembering people and murdering people. (laughs) It it made her did. It really did make her seem like she had a screw loose in and not in a way that I think the movie wanted us to think she did. Well, but that's my ultimate problem with the movie. When, it, when when I really – like I said, I, I'm going to come back to this again. Actually, no. I'm not going to come back to this again because I don't want to beat a dead horse <laughs> or beat a dead corpse, I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was good. Um, all right. Let's get over to final thoughts because I, I think that we're at that point. So, uh, Leah, we'll toss it over to you first. Is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate? Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work, and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com I will say that, like, I think Cole Sprout did a very good job of playing someone who does not speak too much. Yes. There's some really great physical... Uh, comedy acting on display here I thought yeah, I I agree I also loved the tanning bed um, <laughs> I don't get it I don't understand it don't try to explain it to me I I can't really explain it either I, I just I don't know why I think the goal of the film was really like I think the marketing for this film has been really good and I think it is guaranteed to maybe have a similar trajectory as Jennifer's body. And I feel like I'm already saying that and I don't want to be like, oh, this is a cult classic, like you said. But I feel like this is going to be one of those films in the next maybe like 10 years or so. People are going to start reevaluating it and being like, oh, actually, like, let's have a conversation about Lisa Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so I think I think I really liked it. There were some story issues that I did have problems with, but overall, I enjoyed it. All right, Dan, how about you? Final thoughts? Uh, yeah, Cole Sprouse is incredible in this movie (laughs) he's hilarious the way he communicates so much about this character without a single line of dialogue is crazy commendable um huge shout out to the hair and makeup team because the the work on the creature is like you know how remember the movie uh warm bodies Yes. Oh, I was trying to figure out all this yes. time, like what movie did this remind me of? That, yes, yes. Yeah. It, yes. What they I remember with and how they did the makeup on Nicholas Holt so that like he got like kind of less uh, zombie like throughout the movie. Like it, it was like that for this character, but like to the taken to the nth degree. It's like so much more. than what they did like when he first comes out of the ground and he's literally just like dirt and mud (laughs) and like worms i did like the progression of his makeup throughout incredible really really incredibly done i i love the the idea that his tears (laughs) like smell toxic she can't even like she starts to gag whenever he cries. I did like that bit too. <laughs> but but I I just have to it made me think because they make such a big deal about his other appendage in the movie, it then made me think like well if the tears smell like that, then what do his other bodily fluids smell like? Oh, Dan. I'm sorry. Like they, they, they make, they make it such a major plot point that I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Sorry. I, I, it it was a problem I had with the movie and I'm going to move (laughs) right past it. Oh, there's another great, uh, Taffy line when she's talking to her friends about, uh, Lisa's past, which I will say, I think they did a pretty good job with the exposition and backstory for Lisa. Like, I th- feel like they they did it in a way that felt as unintrusive as possible. But she's ta- Taffy is talking to her friends, and they're talking about like you know the this horrible thing that happened in her past, and she's like, "Well, I can't tell you for personal and legal reasons." Also, I pinky swore, but I guess I can tell you. <laughs> like, I love that line too. Something about her delivery of that line is just, it's really, really great. But as funny as this movie is, I just, the way Diablo Cody can also make these really um, profound statements and they also land. Lisa has this great line later in the movie when she says, time is the wound. It takes you further away from when you were happy. She's talking about people say, like, time is a healer. And she's like, no, time is the wound. That line caught me completely off guard. Was not expecting something so profound in this movie. But I love that line. It's a great piece of dialogue, and the fact that it works as well as it does is a real testament to how 
well Diablo Cody can modulate the tone of these screenplays. Uh, so I do think that this movie can be messy. I, I definitely think the tone is all over the place at times. There were some jokes that worked, some that didn't. Catherine Newton, I think, is pretty dang compelling and charming overall. Same thing with Cole Sprouse. Um, the Lisa character, just as written, is something that I just have a, I have a problem with uh, throughout. And how this movie ends is still something that maybe upon a rewatch I'll feel differently. But until we get there, I. Well, hold on. Before I reveal my final grade, there was one last thing I want to ask you all. Did you all feel that this should have been rated R? Because surprisingly, I, I, I found out it was PG-13. And, you know, considering how many sexual innuendos and, you know, moments of body horror there are throughout this, I was kind of surprised. But then again, I think that was also a problem was that I headed into this thinking that it was rated R. And then was thinking to myself, wow, it's really holding itself back and it's kind of tame a bit. And then I found out later it was PG-13 and then it was like, you know... Maybe it should have been rated R. Maybe they should have just gone full tilt with the sexual jokes and the gore. And maybe that would have made this more fun and would have fixed some of these tonal balancing issues. I agree. I I mean, going into this, I did think it was rated R too. I mean, I seen the trailers and I don't know why, but I sort of expected it to be rated R. So gotta capture those Gen Z dollars. <laughs> I think that like it could have gone further with with being rated R. So I have very mixed feelings about this because you know what movie that's coming out this weekend that is rated R? Suncoast. Yeah. You look at that movie and you look at this movie and it's like, no, those those ratings should be reversed. Because what on earth in Suncoast? deserves to be rated R because the teenagers swear a lot and that's how teenagers talk. I, I, I don't understand why that movie is rated R <laughs> this movie, the PG 13, like it, I think it makes sense. I don't know. I feel like the ratings board is just, I mean, they've always been out of touch, but I feel like it's gotten worse recently between like these two ratings. I mean, red, white, and royal blue being rated R. I I, I don't know what constitutes an R rating versus PG-13 anymore. This movie is so tame and obviously targeted at younger teens that I feel like the PG-13 is fine. It's cartoon violence. It's nothing worse than what we see in the average superhero movie. So I don't really see the reason to give it an R. So, yeah, that was my final point here. I'm going to give this movie uh, a 5 out of 10 with room for growth. <laughs> because, believe me, when I was watching this, I was like in that 6-7 territory. And I was having fun with it. And then it and then it slightly dipped into the 6. And then by the end, I was like, nah, it's a 5. I'm... I'm I'm a little mixed on it overall, but slightly leaning negative, and we'll see. We'll see if this changes. I'm 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 open to it. I'm gonna give it some time before I rewatch it again. Though, Leah, what about you? I feel like I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. 
I I did really like it. And during the first maybe like two halves of the film, I was like leaning on seven at least a little bit. But there were a couple things that I did have issues with in terms of like the story structure and some things like that. And so it kind of bumped the rating a little bit down for me. So I'm just going to I'll just put it at six out of ten for me. All right. Dan, how about you? It is a seven out of ten for me. I had a lot of fun with it. And that is really all I'm asking for at the end of the day. (laughs) See, people, Dan remembered how to have fun. (laughs) I did, finally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No Oscar potential. But, Dan, you disagree. Oh. Okay, so... Do you disagree? (laughs) Look, when we do the, you know, Oscar prospects in the reviews for the site, I think it's our job sometimes when there is worthy work in a film that is very far outside what usually gets considered for Oscars, I think it's our duty to say, no, this is... This is something that should be recognized. And the hair and makeup work in this film is pretty spectacular. And I think that the branch should be open to more horror movies in general. And I know that a horror comedy is a big long shot, especially a teen-focused horror comedy like this. But if there's any branch that is capable of taking a worthy element out of a movie and saying, yes, this is worthy of an award. It is the hair and makeup branch. I I agree, actually. There were some, the hair, like I was talking about the crimped hair and mm. the costumes, I think, really tie the world together in like a big pink bow. Um, and I definitely feel like they should be recognized because also, too, the prosthetics for the creature are very good. And I really found myself loving the hair and the makeup and even the costumes too to this film. I think it's best shot is maybe a single nomination or two from the makeup guild come next year. I mean, yeah, yeah, (laughs) but I admire the advocacy, Dan. I do. (laughs) Hey, you know, what are we here for? We're here to talk about movies. Mm hmm. (laughs) All right, Leah, thank you so much for joining us here as a guest on the podcast. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, um, well, you can find me on my Instagram or my Twitter, which is Leah's Sunsets. You can also find me writing on Offscreen Central. And um, I launched a website yesterday, um, which is so absurd for me to say. Um, but you can read my personal reviews on film and TV um, on directorbrat.com. That's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you once again. And Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? 
can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film, on Letterboxd, and post at Dance and Dan. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.